We are working our way through Old Testament scriptures and Old Testament stories as we are learning things about how to live our life of faith. However, this morning, the text that I'm choosing is actually out of the New Testament, and it's from James chapter 1, and I'd like to read two verses, verses 2 and 3, and out of those verses, we're going to look at the difficulties that we face that are explained in the Old Testament in many different passages. James says, Consider it joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Wow. <laughs> Let's comprehend what James says. Consider it joy. That means say, yay, yippee, this is awesome, this is great. Whenever you face trials, those are the bad things of life. You get what James is telling us to do? Be thankful and happy when you face tough things in life. You do all these things of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. These tough, bad things that you go through, these tough, bad things that I go through, they make us better people. Do I get an amen? Do we like them? Wait a second. Do we like them? No, we don't like them. But James says to us to consider them joy. We all face difficulties in our lives. Do I get an amen? Hope we're going to learn this better. Do I get an amen? amen? We face difficulties in life. It's part of life. It's part of our human experience. We don't like the difficulties. We wish we could avoid them. And so we can do different things. We can blame. Blame someone else or something else for the struggles that we face. We can complain about it. Do I get an amen? <laughs> we do that all the time. I know, I'm a king of complainer. I can't believe this is happening. How did this happen again? Or the scripture says we can accept and we can grow, and that's what God wants to do in our lives. I was leaving Logan Airport one morning. The difficulty started because a friend of mine said, Pastor Stan, would you give me a ride to the airport? I said, absolutely. I said, what time do we need to leave? He says, I need to be there at 3 o'clock in the morning. Be careful what you agree to until you know all the details. It's funny. I later had to take an early morning plane that we had to get there at 3 o'clock in the morning. I called him back on the phone. I said, you remember when I took you to the airport? He said, yeah, I'd appreciate that very much. I said, would you take me to the airport? He said, sure. I said, good, because I have to be there now at 3 o'clock. So it all worked out. I was leaving, and I had my GPS, and I'm using my GPS, and I'm directionally challenged. I am one of the most directionally challenged people that I know. I can't get anywhere. Fortunately, God invented GPSs just in time as I was getting older, so it saved me, and I was like, okay, I'm going to be good going forward. And that day, the GPS took me out of Logan Airport, took me through East Boston or something to an on-ramp that was closed. So I drove around, and I ended back at the same on-ramp. I turned off my GPS, turned it back on, took a different route, ended back at the same on-ramp. Started getting frustrated. I was in Boston for a little bit longer than I wanted to be, and I started getting all upset. And I realized that that's what happens in our lives. We want somebody to tell us the next turn. 
We want somebody to say, take a right, take a left, do this, make this decision. We face a difficulty, we face a struggle in our life, and we are wanting somebody to come up to us, and we're expecting the perfect answer. If you do this, everything will work out. And somehow we start thinking that that's God's will, that God's GPS is going to tell us whether to take a right or take a left, what direction to go, and in reality, God's GPS is different. Because God's GPS will tell us the next turn, but it will tell us how to live when we take the turn. God's GPS doesn't say, take a left. It says, smile. God's GPS doesn't say, here's your on-ramp. It says, pray and be thankful. We face difficulties in our lives. We want God's will, and God's will is always before us. Be thankful. Be grateful. Consider it a joy when you're going through a trial. That faces most of our lives. At times we can feel lost, and we can feel when we're lost or we're going through something difficult as if every single one of those experiences are the same, and they're not. They're different. And the Bible is clear about that. The Bible has all these different negative things that we go through. We find them right there in the Old Testament. We find them in the New Testament. And what we discover is they're very different, but they all feel the same. And that's where life gets confusing. Because did I do something wrong? Why am I in this situation? Did I do the same thing over again and expect different results? And we find ourselves in all these emotions of wondering why are we facing what we're facing and how do we get out of there? And then we pray and we just want God to give us the answer. Just tell me exactly what to do. And sometimes it's obvious. Sometimes it's an obvious decision we need to make, and sometimes it isn't, but God's GPS, God's positioning system for you and for me, is how we live in the midst of the situations that we face, and that's what we discover in these Old Testament stories. So this morning, I'd like us not to look at one Old Testament character. We're actually going to look at three of them, and we're going to see different ways in which we face struggles and difficulties and pain and awful situation, or what James calls trials in our lives, that we are supposed to consider joy in how we respond to each of them. The first of them is wilderness. And I got this to tell you. We all go through wilderness. It is a universal human experience. The only way we don't go through wilderness is if we do absolutely nothing. I read a story recently about Sid Barrett, who was the person who formed the rock band Pink Floyd. And somebody said after he left Pink Floyd, and there's all kinds of controversy of what exactly goes on in his mind and his life, Finally, at one point, they said, Sid Barrett said he had figured out life. He stayed in bed. And somebody said to him, why do you stay in bed? He goes, I lay here with infinite possibilities. And they said, yeah, but if you don't do anything, it doesn't do you any good. Well, we can kind of avoid wilderness if we just become like Sid Barrett and lay in bed, but that's not what God calls us to do. God calls us to live our lives. And so we all have to go through wilderness. And the only problem is we can prolong it and make it worse, but it's still a natural time of transition. It's when we go from here to there, and the only way to get there is to go through some wilderness experiences. Here I think of Moses in the Old Testament. The children of Israel were slaves in Egypt, and they didn't want to live as slaves in Egypt. 
Come on, they had to make bricks every day in the hot baking sun, and they didn't get to have any kind of decent life. And so God raises up Moses and says, I'm going to allow you to take these people from Egypt to Palestine. There's only one problem. There's wilderness in between. you got to get through the wilderness. Now, go look at a map. There's a big desert. You can't go from here to there. And they didn't have a jet airplane. And they didn't have a helicopter. So there's no way for somebody to just come and pluck them out of the one place and take them to somewhere else. Then they're out in the wilderness. It's a natural transition. And all of a sudden, things are strange and foreign because that's what we experience when we're in wilderness. It's those transition times in our life where life is difficult and nothing seems familiar to us and life gets really hard. And in Exodus chapter 14, verse 11, the children of Israel come to Moses and they said, what have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt. In that same verse, they say to him, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out here into this wilderness to die? Wilderness can feel awful, but it's necessary. If we are going to grow in our life and go from where we are to somewhere else, we need to go through these strange, difficult, awful times where everything is upset. But the only way we're going to get through it is by going through that wilderness. One of the most obvious times in young people's lives or in any of our lives is if we decide to go back to school and go for education. Excited, we bring all the young people up in front, we have a prayer for them, and we think, just wait till you get to college. You're not going to know anybody, you're not going to see anything that's familiar, and everything is going to be different, you're going to be sitting in your dorm room all alone on a Friday night going, why did my mom and dad make me do this? Well, mom and dad are out having a nice dinner saying, oh, this isn't so bad, is it? (laughs) But it's true at any point in our life. We become like the children of Israel, wanting to go from here over to there, but we've got to face the pain and difficulties of wilderness. I think of kids that can't wait. They're all excited because they see mom or dad mow the yard. I had it with both my boys. When do I get to mow the yard, Dad? Oh, you wait. Is it as fun as it looks? Oh, it's better than it looks. Oh, it's the best thing you can do on a hot summer day. And they finally get there, and we show them how, and they're excited, and they go up, and they turn the little mower, and they go back, and I smile, and I go in, and I watch the Red Sox on TV. And pretty soon, I hear somebody at the kitchen refrigerator, what's wrong? really hot out there. That's not fun. Don't worry about it. You've got about another 10 years of mowing yards until <laughs> you go off to college. Don't worry about it. You'll get through it. It's wilderness. The only way you go from here to getting the yard mowed is you mow it. I said to Todd one day, why is it when I ask you to go mow the yard, you just do it? He said, well, I've kind of figured out it's like the worst thing I have to do, but prolonging it just is going to prolong it and make it worse. So I figure I might as well just go do it. That's wilderness, folks. We just have to get through it. Driving in awful traffic becomes wilderness in people's lives. I have an exciting new job. The only problem is I'm going to be on Route 3 at exactly 8.15 in the morning, in which the New York Times tells me is the absolute worst time to be on any road in America. And congratulations, it's going to take you forever to get to your job. But that's wilderness. 
The only way you get from here to there is to go through it. And there's so many experiences in our life, normal health issues, injuries that we have. They're part of life, and we're going to go through them. And during those times, we feel like we're in wilderness. That's why I'm wearing my fun blue running shoes today. Because I like to run, and I enjoy it. It's an addiction in my life. I was in a Bible study with Don this last week. He said, what's been your addictive behavior? And he looked at me, and he said, running? I said, yeah, unfortunately, I fell, and I twisted my ankle really bad, and I cracked a rib. And I realized, oh, my goodness, life is difficult. I have to get through it. I went to see the doctor, and the doctor said, the only thing I want you to hear is don't go running. I think you must be the wrong doctor. Could I get somebody else in a second opinion? So I learned how to ride a bike. I felt like a 10-year-old all over again, riding down the road. See, we got to get through the wildernesses in our lives. We just have to keep going. The children of Israel were impatient nomads. And instead of doing what they should have done in a short period of time, they extended the wilderness to 40 years. Are you hearing me, folks? If we don't do it and we don't go through it and we don't complete it and we don't just keep moving forward and go through it when we're in those wilderness experiences that we have to go through, we extend it and we make it way worse. So my doctor said to me, yeah, you can go run on it. And then instead of having a one-month injury, you're going to have a six-month injury, maybe even longer. But we do that in our lives all the time. Five years of my ministry felt like wilderness because we were in a place that we needed to get through and go through and do what we were asked to do. And it was all just part of being a Methodist pastor. And during that time, I began working on myself, getting involved with a Christian school in the community doing volunteer work saying what can we do as a family during those wilderness times where we're really not where we want to be but we got to get through it to go to somewhere else. We find ourselves in wilderness like the children of Israel many times in our life and we need to keep going. We just need to keep going. Keep our eyes fixed on Christ and realize that this too shall pass. I learned that from a 95-year-old blind woman. I talked about her last week. She was a Bruins fan who used to watch the Bruins on TV when she was blind. And one day I said something to her about her eyesight, and she looked at me and she said, Pastor Stan, this too shall pass. And I realized that didn't mean that it was going to pass in this lifetime. But my friend's been dead for probably 20 years now. And she can see just fine as she walks those streets of gold. Because life has those wilderness times we have to go through. They feel difficult, they're hard, but they're part of life if we go from here to there. And during those times, we can make matters worse if we complain, if we get negative, if we get cynical. But if we just keep on going, God will bless those times and amazing things can happen. The second kind of negative thing we find ourselves in or experience is what the Bible calls exile. That's very different than wilderness. 
Wilderness on some level is really a positive thing because we're going from here to there. We're going for something that's going to be growth in our life or something that's good that we see on the other end and we see the other side of it. The children of Israel could imagine that there was Palestine out there, the land flowing with milk and honey. But for us, exile sometimes is just a location and a place. And it happens because we or someone else made a mess and now we have to deal with a new reality. Exile can be awful because of the fact that we can start blaming and we start living with regrets and we start living with frustrations and people in exile can start thinking about the past and think, why did I make that decision or why did somebody else make that decision? And if that hadn't happened, and then people can get angry and cynical and negative and that's not what the Bible teaches us when we feel as if we're in exile. Story of David, he's a young man and he's a commander of Saul's army. And things are going really well until the king goes crazy. And because the king goes nuts and Saul's life just spirals out of control and he starts making really bad decisions, the kingdom starts having all kinds of problems and David gets exiled because the king comes after him and he's going to kill him. And so now David flees and he and his mighty men come together and try to figure out how do we live when we're exiled. In 1 Samuel 27, verse 5, David finds himself with the Philistines, and he speaks in the city of Gath to the king whose name is Achish. And he says, let a place be given to me in one of the country towns that I may dwell there. How did David and his mighty man deal with exile? They made the best of the situation and they found themselves in a new reality and they settled in and they bloomed where they were planting. It wasn't David who did something wrong. Sometimes we're in exile because of something we've done wrong. Sometimes we're in exile because of something somebody else did wrong. And yet he had his loyal, mighty men. I think of people who are new in recovery. They feel like they're in exile. They can look back and they can blame something in their life. How come I made this decision? How come I did this? Look what somebody else did to me. And in reality, it's time to live with a new reality. Everything may feel strange and it all may feel different, but now's an opportunity to make new friends and to do new things. Debt can feel like exile. A person can find that they've created it for themselves or Maybe someone else in their family has done something and all of a sudden, it's like, wait a second, all the stuff that I like to do and wanted to do is taken away from me during this time because we have to deal with this. Unemployment, when a company makes a bad decision and people start getting laid off and somebody says, why do I feel like I'm collateral damage? I'm now in exile. You see, the difference between exile and being in wilderness is wilderness is that natural part of life as we're getting better Exile, there's always somebody that we can blame, and if we start blaming ourselves or other people, we just get stuck and we make it worse because that's not the point of exile. The point of exile is to learn to bloom where we're planted, to live in this new reality. That's why I've talked to people who've gone to prison, and I said, how was it? Well, it was awful, but I made the best of it, and I made good friends, and I learned to read the Bible more, improve my prayer life. Life can have those exile moments. Jeremiah's letter that we read last week 
when he wrote to the children of Israel who were in Babylon in exile. And what did he say to them? Keep your head where your feet are. You're now living in Babylon. Yes, your kingdom made a mistake. Yes, he did some awful things. Yes, somebody else has come in and taken them over. Yes, you have been shipped out to somewhere and it's no blame of you, but you're in exile. But there were things that people did wrong and that's why you're here. Now bloom where you're planted. Take wives, have sons, have daughters. Women, take husbands, build houses, do the best in that situation. You see, what happens to us, unfortunately, is we get in those situations and we blame and we go to guilt and we go to our negative thoughts and all the while we lose all that opportunity and time right in front of ourselves. When we find ourselves in exile, we need to make the best out of every day. We need to look right in front of ourselves and say, what does God have for me today? How can I make the best out of today and live my best life today, right now? I think of Paul in prison. And he's sitting there and writing his letter to the Philippians. And he says, you know, this is awesome. I'm exiled to prison. I would never have been able to tell these guards about Jesus if I hadn't been here. That's what we do in exile. We don't sit and beat ourselves up for some bad decision we made or go to our spouse and blame them for something they did or just cynically get all angry and frustrated with a company because a bad decision were made. We are told in the Bible that when we are in wilderness, we keep going because there's something great on the other end. And when we're in exile, we learn to keep our head where our feet is planted so we can make the best of today because God has so much for us today. There's a third time that we want God's GPS to tell us the next move. And all God's GPS does is gives us something more important, tells us how to live. And it's not wilderness, and it's not exile, but it's testing. Testing. We've all been tested. It's part of life. You know what's great about testing? We have no explanation for it. We call it life happens. Living life at life's terms. It's not that, that we decide we're going to be a doctor and somebody says to us, oh, that means you have 700 years of education in front of us and we go, oh my goodness, how am I going to get through it? It doesn't mean that somebody else has made a mess out of things and we find ourselves in a situation or we our, find ourselves with a problem that we've created and we have to live with it. This is just those times in life when we're just tested. And we wake up in the morning and we go, how did this happen? We go in those situations from the questions of why me to why not me. Because again, even James said, consider it joy because we know that this testing and these trials are good for us. We just don't want them. And that's why when we take our kids and we put them on the bus for the first day of school, they are all excited and they are thrilled with their cute little backpacks and we take their pictures and they jump up on the bus and we sit there and we think, oh my goodness, that kid's going to be tested. And we tested when kids make fun of them and we want to help them, but we can't. Or when they struggle with something in a school and they can't quite get it the way another child does and somebody says something and they feel bad about themselves. Or when they take a test and they do poorly or when they forget their homework at home or when they're on the playground and, and they decide to do a game with eight kids and there's nine kids and they get left out and testing is all part of life. 
and we sit there and we want to protect them from it, but we realize that even our scripture tells us we're all going to be tested. I think here of Job. The Bible's clear. Job didn't do anything wrong. Job is just a guy who one day is having a good life and everything's going well. And all of a sudden, all this spiritual stuff is going on out there and Job is in the middle of a firestorm that he could never have seen coming. And things happen in his life and he has health issues and he has family members that have health issues and people die and he loses employment and he goes from living in a beautiful mansion to being homeless. Going, whoa! Is the ultimate expression of testing. And then to make matters worse for Job, he has what happens so often in our lives, we call them friends. You know what the friends are. They're all those people who make matters worse by speaking the lies to us that we know we can't listen to, but somehow they get in our head. And so Job chapter 11, verses 14, 15, and 17 his friends say to him, you know, if you just would put away the sin that's in your hand and allow no devil, evil to dwell in your tent, you'll stand firm without fear. Job, this is your fault. No, it wasn't. Job, you just need to repent and then you'll, everything will get better. Obviously, God isn't showing favor on you. We have the same thing in our lives. And then they say, you know, then everything is going to be perfect. No, it's not. Those negative friends only made it worse by saying it's your fault. Now repent. Or if you pray the right prayer, that God will lift this from you. No, he won't. Testing is part of life. It's not that there's some secret little thing out there that makes it go away. So Job eventually learned what we all need to learn when we go through testing. The ultimate testing is of our faith. Do I trust in God? And he learned to trust in God. He learned to say, you know, no matter what's going on, no matter what's around me, I don't know why it is. I didn't do anything wrong. I don't see something better on the other end. But right now, today, for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord God Almighty. We're going to trust in him because he is the rock, the anchor, and my foundation. Do I get an amen? Amen. That's what we do when we're tested. And when the negative naysayers of Nabom want to come to us and blame us or tell us there's a simple solution, we need to get those voices out of our head. I see far too many people who start believing the lies that other people tell them and it only makes life worse. We have a health issue. We're being tested. Well, don't try to find something you did wrong. Don't try to look at yourself and say, oh, obviously, God put this cancer on me because I did something poor when I was a child. Don't go through life and try to tell somebody else that you are convinced of how God's going to do his work in their life because we make matters worse when we start thinking that we are God. We're not. We learn to trust. We learn to trust in God and his word and not the negative things or improper things that we can all say about each other. Somebody goes through a time of unemployment and they're genuinely struggling. Oh, God has a better job for you on the other end? Not necessarily. Oh, this is all to teach you a lesson because obviously you've done something wrong that you need to learn in your life. Yeah, thank you very much. Why don't you have a nice day too? 
Let's not be Job's friends and let's not listen to Job's friends. Let's remember that Jesus was baptized and immediately after his baptism, a dove comes out of heaven and a voice comes down from the heaven saying, this is my beloved son, on this one I am well pleased. And did life go well for our Savior? No, he spent 40 days in the wilderness being tempted. He went through a test. Peter is out on a boat one day. And Jesus comes walking out on the water. And Peter gets all excited and says, if Jesus can do it, I can do it. He gets out, he walks on the water, and he starts sinking. And he's being tested. I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus and trust, or am I going to drown? You see, the problem is they all feel the same. Wilderness, exile, and testing. But they are very different, and they serve different purposes in our lives. There are times in which we go through things that we just got to get through them because if we're going to improve our lives or our loved ones are going to improve their lives and we're going to go from captivity to the promised land, we got to go through some wilderness, folks, and it can be tough and it can be hard and we can get through it because we can keep going and God is faithful and no matter how hard it is, it's going to be better in the other place. Or we can have made a mistake or done something wrong or someone else has and we're in exile, and we want to blame and get angry and discouraged, and God says, don't you dare go there. Learn to live and accept this reality and make the best out of it and bloom where you're planted, and you will be thankful for it for the rest of your life. And sometimes life just tests us. It just happens. And you can come to your pastor, and if you don't like what I say, you can go to your associate pastor, and if you don't like what he says, you can go find a site pastor at Duxbury, and you don't like what she says, so you go to Brian, who's a retired pastor, and don't like, because we all start telling you the same thing. Sometimes we don't have an answer, folks. Sometimes I can't tell you why God let this thing happen in our lives, but we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We read the scripture, we pray, and we know that God loves us and he's with us and we're not going to listen to the negative things that other people say or the discouraging words that are only going to make us worse or the quick fixes that aren't going to work in the full anyhow and they're just going to discourage us and make us say, what's wrong with me? Why is other people have it better than me? Because life will test us. And that's why we end with the words that we began with. Consider it pure joy. Consider it joy. Thank, thank you, God. Thank you for putting me on this earth and letting me go through life. Consider it joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. It makes us better. As we learn that no matter what we face or where we're going through or where we or anyone else in our lives are, we have a Savior that is going to be with us no matter what. The Holy Spirit is in your life. The Holy Spirit's guiding you. The Holy Spirit's in my life, guiding me. And if we can trust and obey, as the old hymn says, if we can have faith and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, if we can continue to fill our minds with the positive thoughts of the Scriptures, God will be with us and will get us through and we can count our blessings every day. We cannot stand here and give you a formula to avoid the struggles of life, but we can pray our way through them and we can know that we're never alone. And that's why at this time, Alona will come and will share with us our opportunity no matter what we're facing.
to know that we have people who will pray with us. At this time in our worship together, we just take the opportunity just to let the word that Pastor Stan has spoken to us soak in, to go a little deeper. So I invite you just to be where you are, to center yourself. Sometimes just taking that deep breath and breathing it in. And listening to that gentle voice of Christ that is calling to you, that is whispering ever so sweetly and lovingly to you. And saying, yes, that wilderness that you've gone through, that exile that you are in, and that testing of your faith that you are enduring. You are loved. You are cherished. You are a blessing. Sometimes finding the opportunity in our days, in our lives, in our struggles, in the test, just to say, Lord, I just need to bring it to you. So at this time, as we pray where we are, dear most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your glory. Thank you for the reminder of being happy and grateful in whatever season we are in. The testing, the exile, the wilderness. Thank you that you, you Lord, are on the throne, loving us and guiding us, watching over us. Thank you for this day, for the reminder that this is the day that your church was built and that I am welcome to sit at your table. And as we close out this service, Lord, we just, we just ask for you to stir within each and every member here today, within their heart, that that, that test that they're going through, that, that unforeseen thing that is in their lives, to remember to keep all eyes on you, all eyes on the cross. We love you. We thank you. And sometimes we are perfectly imperfect children. But we know that in this season, we can praise you. And you love us all the same. And as we focus and we're back now into the present moment, I ask the congregation, each and every one of you, that if you feel as though you need to come forward, we ask that you do as we close out this service in song and prayer and praising on high that we can come forward to pray to leave it at the cross. This we pray from the depths of our heart in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.